Hello and welcome to the Movie Scramble podcast. Today I am only joined by one of the team, unfortunately, our bearded colleague, and I can I can only say that because I'm bearded at the moment as well, <laughs> is doing other stuff, progressing his career, I think, more than anything else. So I am joined by the ever delightful World War II expert, Mary Palmer. Mary, how are you doing? I'm quite clearly not progressing my career. I'd just like to put that out there. <laughs> I, I much prefer watching films and chatting with you guys. No, I'm really good. Really excited to get cracking on another year of podcasts. And obviously, thank you to everyone who listened to us um, last year. Really appreciate the fact that our listening figures seem to be going up. So excited to entertain you with our usual insight and nonsense in the year ahead. Next one, yes. I can only second that. Thank you very much to everybody who listened and got in touch with us on uh, the various mediums like uh, Twitter. We had a, a pretty decent response from people on there saying that they liked what we were doing. Not many people said, what you're doing is really rubbish and I'm never going to listen to you again. So that was quite <laughs> good as well, obviously. On today's show, we are going to be covering three of the more recent releases in the form of the new Matrix film, the new Kingsman film, and the French film Titan. I just looked up the word Titan on Google, and that's how I can actually <laughs> say it properly. Uh, I was struggling with it before, but never mind. So we start with the Matrix Resurrections. Obviously, a definitive article is in there. It's not Matrix Resurrections. It's the Matrix Resurrections. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. It's the fourth film, in some way a surprise fourth film in the Matrix trilogy, which sees the return of Neo and Trinity. And there's various other people in it as well. I won't, we're trying not to spoil too much of it. Nobody thought there was going to be a fourth Matrix film. It was pretty much done and dusted. This is a trilogy we're not going to do anymore. And that was 18 years ago. Mm -hmm. Since then, there's always been speculation about it. There's always been the push from the likes of Warner Brothers to try and do some more. But the Wachowski said, no, nope, not going to do it. Until a couple of years ago when Lana Wachowski got in touch with Keanu Reeves and says, I have an idea for how we can take this forward. And that idea formed the basis of the fourth film. Obviously, Mr. Reeves has said on various occasions that he wouldn't want to go back to the franchise because he's pretty much done and dusted and there wasn't really any story to tell. And when there was talk about it getting moved forward without the Wachowskis, he said, nope, I'm not going to get involved. It's not for me. It's their story. It's their baby. They can do it. But here we are, new, new film, new story, and it's been a bit of a mixed bag to say the least in terms of the reception so the film itself is set present day or present day in the matrix if you like neo is mr anderson again he is working in a software house as a developer he has been massively successful as a creator of the game called the Matrix, which has been about for a number of years, and that's basically made his name for him. He is revered within the company, but he's he's miserable, he's fed up. There's one pointed scene where you see him in the morning getting up, doing exactly the same thing, taking the blue pill, and just getting on with his day. At that point, 
something strange starts to happen, various elements. Now, I'm being a wee bit circumspect about it because it's kind of a difficult film to talk about without giving away spoilers, but we will try and do our best here. Yeah. So, the soon-to-be-not-Miss Palmer, <laughs> what did you think of the film? So I think I'm in the minority of our lovely Movie Scramble group in that I did not enjoy this film at all. And to be honest with you, it's one of those films, and I don't really get this way usually, but I was tempted to leave the cinema. That's oh how much I did not enjoy it. The thing is, I feel like almost in a way too much time has passed between how sort of groundbreaking and exciting and different the original Matrix movies were and this particular film. I get that it was trying to be quite meta, quite cynical. You know, there was lots of jokes about like Warner Brothers pushing the product through, that sort of thing. But I feel like you only get to be that way if your actual product is good. And I just didn't think this, this film was. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised about it because I thought it was going to be a bit of a retread mm -hmm. of the, the first three films. And it was, but it did it in quite uh an interesting way shall i say mm -hmm. it wasn't a perfect film by no means I'm, I'm not one of these people who are saying this is brilliant it's a five-star movie or anything i would say probably at best it was a three-star movie it started mm -hmm. very well the opening scene is a recreation of the opening scene of the matrix film which under normal circumstances would raise alarm bells thinking of well, what they're doing here but when it's explained about what's going on and it's actually a, a construct that mm -hmm. Neo has set up in order to test things, but in his subconscious, it's, actually, it's almost like a cry for help. Mm -hmm. it, it works in that respect, and you, you start to see things from a slightly different perspective and different people actually watching it as well. And I thought, yeah, that works. So that, that was very good. The first hour of the film was excellent because it started setting things up really well, and you got the the analyst character coming in as well which mm -hmm, i thought mm -hmm. was quite a nice touch basically saying well you know you used to be mad but you're okay now everything's fine now and i mm -hmm. i thought that was very very well done indeed the the whole thing about it all being in his mind and neil patrick harris was very good in the role where i think it turned a lot of people off was it was the action scenes and the way that it didn't do they were it, extremely it, it, poor it didn't have the same impact as the original Matrix films. Now, no. you've got to remember that there was nothing really like the, the Matrix films in terms of action yeah. when they came out. So it's kind of a high bar, and I don't yeah. think they really tried to do that. They obviously had to include action scenes, but it was more about the idea of the story, the fact of him maybe being back in the Matrix, maybe not, maybe he imagined it all, all this sort of stuff. I found that to be the the more interesting part of it, the action part of it. Yeah, some of it's good, some of it not so good. But it was I, I at no point did I think I'm going to leave the cinema here. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I found again, so the action in particular was really bad because I felt it was really tight and close up and I felt you didn't get to see anything. It was one of those kind of like swirly, you know, camera things that they keep seem to do in these big blockbusters that never really works for me because it feels like cheating and I understand that a lot of the cast are you know 20 years older than when they made the last movie perhaps but then actually in saying that Kennedy's still kicking ass in the, the John Wick film so there's there's nothing mm -hmm. to say he couldn't do it I just I found the action really poor I found the the um, a lot of the dialogue was just like 
exposition like super heavy like it was really really hammering home what was going to happen and if you didn't get the metaphor from before here's another recap of why this could be something else and then I felt in a way it kind of cheapened my enjoyment of the original film because they just kept blasting like literally there's a scene where there's a a clip um from the first movie um with with Neo and Morpheus like up on the wall <laughs> like behind yeah. the action that's unfolding and I just thought it feels like a clip show and not and not a movie in its own right and I think that's where I really struggled with it mm-hmm. yeah that was the whole bit about how well it was it was mixing up reality or the the reality of the film mm-hmm. where the the clips that they were showing were actually from the game, The Matrix, rather uh-huh, than the film. But it was actually yeah, from yeah. the film, yeah, yeah. And that was... I, I didn't think the sort of primary antagonist was particularly good this time. It was Jonathan Groff. Oh, so I have the opposite opinion. I thought Neil Patrick Harris was terrible and I loved Jonathan Groff. All right, okay. So I I generally think well, I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you, John. I haven't seen two and three, I've only seen the first one. But I think that I, I really like Jonathan Groth. I thought he was quite sinister. He is good though at being that kind of sinister, creepy way. Whereas I just I never take Neil Patrick Harris seriously as a sort of don't want to give too much away, but as a potential villain. I just I, mm-hmm. I, I just see him as a comedy actor, which and I really struggle with and I know that's not fair because he's obviously trying to play against type here, but it, it didn't work for me in this sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. You you always think of him as a more sort of comedic mm-hmm. actor, or even in series of unfortunate events where he was mm-hmm. like the sort of antagonist. There, it, it was still there was still a comedic element to his performance yeah. and everything. So it, it's difficult to get away from that. But yeah, I didn't really connect too much with the performance with Jonathan Groff. It seemed to be sort of too derivative of the original Hugo Weaving performance yeah, I it's, thought it's, you know, obviously, just... it's obviously never going to live up to that and I totally get no. that I just I think he is good at playing I, I really like I mean obviously I, I quit the Hamilton fan and I really loved him in Mindhunter he's even really good in Glee back in the day mm-hmm. and I just perhaps I've been blinded by you know I just like him as an actor but I, I did think he was quite good but again you know he was kind of making jokes about you know Warner Brothers pushing this through and stuff like that and I I understand they were playing with the sort of meta nature of this film versus, you know, he's created that game versus is he actually in the Matrix? And I and I understood all of that. It just, it didn't really come together for me, I'm afraid. And actually this time around, I thought there was almost no chemistry between Neo and Trinity as well, which is a wee bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. It, it just kind of fell flat for me. A lot of the relationships and the dynamics just didn't really work for me. And then there was that weird, almost like a, like a Saturday Night Live sketch of like coming up with the new game. Which just didn't fit in with the rest of the movie. It just, yeah, the whole experience felt quite surreal to me. And I did wonder what pill I had taken that morning because it just, it, it wasn't working for me, I'm afraid. That was a bit weird, yeah, the, the whole thing about how they put the game together and uh-huh. it reference, referencing Warner Brothers. They, they were pushing for it and all that. It was, it was a bit weird. Um, I'd recently watched Mythic Quest. Raven's Banquet, which is a comedy show on Apple, and it's about a games development company. And it was very like this. The 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 way that they talked about the game and how you know, oh, we need more action and all this sort of stuff. We need more need more guns and all that sort of stuff. You know, I thought, yeah, that 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 kind of worked really well. It was it was very interesting, but again, it was it worked. Sorry, it worked very well in the TV show. Didn't Mm -hmm. work so well here. 
and you got the, you, you kept coming back to that as well. It, it would have been fine if it was just a one-off, but they mm-hmm. returned to that a couple of times. And at the very end, in the post-credit, there was yeah. a, a whole bit about it as well. Which, yeah, it was the whole sort of meta angle of the the story. I think that's that was the primary push for the film: the fact that yeah, we 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 go about meta, we talk about it as if it is actually a product, and mm-hmm. it's it's actually out there in the real world, which. In a lot of ways, it is because there's been a number of successful games that have come from the, the franchise as well as the the second and third film. Now, mm-hmm. an interesting point you said you said you haven't seen the second or third mm-hmm. film films. I don't know if you're really missing out all that much. To be perfectly honest, there's there's good uh, bits in them, but there's yeah. a lot of rubbish in them as well. I was told that the quality dipped significantly. Basically, I think these the second one how it was described to me was the second one's one big motorbike chase, and the third one's a metaphor for Christ. <laughs> I was like, okay, I yeah. think I'll just stick with watching the first one because that actually sounds like the best of the trilogy. And I understand that sometimes when something is so big, you're never going to replicate that. Or, but I almost feel like this is, you know, one of those things that, you know, the trilogy does have a lot of respect. It has a huge following. It's obviously influenced a lot of of other uh, directors and writers and, and approaches to cinema. I just feel like I do not think that we needed this film at all. It's one of those sequels where it, it did kind of just feel like a bit of a cash grab because I don't think it actually adds anything to to the original trilogy or indeed the original film. And it just, to me, part of me is struggling to actually talk about it because I feel like I've actually blocked a lot of it out of my mind because I just didn't enjoy it that much. And I just... Mm-hmm. I don't understand the logic as to why it was released. It didn't it didn't feel like we needed it or like there was a great big calling for it either. I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm not in any sort of like matrix fan groups or anything like that but was there a big a big push for this or has it just sort of happened? not especially a lot of people had basically come to terms with the fact that there wasn't going to be another matrix film and yeah. you think about it as i said at the top of the show it's been 18 years mm-hmm. so if see that's why i don't that's why i don't think it was so much of a cash grab because if it was they would have done it a lot sooner they'd announced it maybe no, three or four years right. after yeah. the end of the trilogy yeah we're doing a new one now there has been talk of this becoming a second trilogy, which oh. is very much in doubt because the film didn't perform as well as expected. Did it, did it do well at the box office? or Not not especially, no. It was released simultaneously at cinemas and in the US it was released on HBO Max as well. So it, did, oh. it was the same was as June and various others. No, it's, it was part of the HBO subscription. You had to subscribe to HBO Max. In order right. to get it. We, we don't get HBO right. Max here yet. It's, no. Don't, I, I've got no idea when it's going to be launched. Obviously, we had a brief chat about Peacemaker the other day there as well. So mm-hmm. that's in doubt about where where and when we'll actually get to see that because that's a, an HBO program as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, so it was released simultaneously. But, and I believe the numbers were good on HBO Max. Okay. But the cinema numbers weren't as expected internationally, I don't think. Oh. So it's very much in doubt. But I mean, it could be taken as just a standalone film. There, there's obviously possibilities. It's been kind of left open as mm-hmm. to where it can go because there are a number of elements that are still around in the film that could be developed. But whether there's actually an appetite for it, I'm, I'm not particularly sure. I mean, you've got to remember that the first film was a critical and commercial success. It was massive. Mm -hmm. The second and the third films, they weren't announced until after the first film was successful. And at the Mm -hmm. time it was, this is just a a one and done. And then suddenly it became, oh, we've always had a trilogy in mind. Mm -hmm. And it didn't go down particularly well in terms of like 
critical reception. In terms of box office, yeah, it did okay, but it didn't do anywhere near as the first film. So I think there was a kind of a tailing off anyway. So there was... Mm -hmm. It, it would have been difficult for them to relaunch it maybe like five years or so later. And you kind of get the impression that when if they were going to relaunch it, it would have been a bit the same. You know? yeah. <laughs> it would have been maybe a bit, mm, oh, I don't know. You know, it, it, They might have been retreading more ground than they actually retrod on this one. Yeah. And you would have got characters coming back that perhaps maybe shouldn't have and all that. So, Speaking of which, there was one notable absentee from the cast in terms of Morpheus. There's yes. no Lawrence Fishburne. Do you think the film was worse for the fact that he wasn't in it? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, again, so I, as I said, I've only ever seen the first one, but these characters are so iconic. And, you know, there's like a million Lawrence Fishburne memes from The Matrix and stuff like that. He's so intrinsically connected with that role that it did feel a bit strange. I mean, I know there was clips of him throughout. And in that sense, I almost think that if you'd never seen a Matrix movie, you could probably quite comfortably go and see this film and mm -hmm. and there would be no issues. You wouldn't feel like you were not understanding, not keeping up. But it was a it was a big lack from the sense that he's hugely iconic in that role. And I was kind of hoping at some point maybe he'd appear maybe post-credits or something even like that and, and, and there was just nothing so I was quite surprised and I don't know if that's a, a studio decision or an actor's decision um, but it did feel like there was a, a distinct lack there. Yeah, it was missed. I mean, it would have been difficult for him to come back and be uh, an action star because mm -hmm. Mr Fishburne, no, no offence to him, I know he listens to us. Regularly. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure, well, I'm sure he stalks me, but I just, I don't want to say anything, you know, I wouldn't like to, <laughs> to say, but Yaha Abdul-Mateen came in and, and I loved him them. Candyman, by the way, really loved Yes, oh yeah, um, absolutely brilliant. But I thought he but was poor in this. He was a touch, yes, because he was doing an impersonation yeah. of the character rather than making it his own, like using the essence of the character, which he could kind of easily got away with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it just it wasn't quite the same, unfortunately, which is a bit of a pity. Yes, as I say, I thought there was good performances in this. I just thought that, as I say, the action was so poor. And it's a shame because Keanu Reeves can do it. Like, he absolutely can. He's still doing it in the John Wick film. So that I, I felt like it was a bit flat. And I did, but I thought Jonathan Groff was really good. But I, I did feel like there was kind of a lack of chemistry sort of overall. And as I said, I feel like if you're going to make jokes about not rushing a product and it not being crap and sequels not being as good as the original, your product has to definitely stand up. Yes, um, and, absolutely. And this just, this just didn't for me, I'm afraid. But I, I know that, that you and Simi did say that you quite enjoyed it, so I'm not going to shit all over that. It just wasn't for me. No, no, no. I, I, I totally understand where a lot of people are coming from with this because well, a lot of people had very high expectations of it because with the, the way that a film is gets more revered as time passes. We've mm -hmm. seen this it's so got, many It's got times. that cult status now, doesn't it? So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So people are going to want it to be good or expect mm -hmm. it to be really, really good. And this wasn't, I mean, I, I totally understand where you come from. It wasn't a brilliant film. It was an okay film. Mm -hmm. Would I watch it again? Probably not. There's other stuff to see in it. There's a lot, mm -hmm. lots of wee touches in it, which were quite nice. Obviously, there was a lot to do with the fact that it's Lana Wachowski mm -hmm. who's doing it. Like the name of the game he is working on and failing to produce properly is called Binary. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. 
not everything's a one and a zero, you know, all this sort of stuff. There's all the perceptions of that. There was some nice wee touches in it. The fact that Carrie Ann Moss's husband is called Chad, and that's Chad Stahelski uh, really? from the John Wick films. Yeah, oh, I just thought it was like Chad, as in like you know how that online persona of like Chads and Stacey's, I thought it was a reference yeah. to that. It probably is as well, but the fact it was this this guy who's obviously heavily involved with uh, yeah. Ken Reeves as well. Uh, yeah. I, there, was, there was lots of wee bits, lots of wee touches that, that you could take from like a second watch, but is it is it worth it in terms of watching the, the film? Maybe not, but as a one-time viewing, yeah, enjoyed it. It was... It was a spectacle, but it wasn't quite the spectacle I thought it'd be. It kind of ran out of steam a wee bit, unfortunately. But that's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I've I've seen a lot worse than the Matrix films. I hope they don't make another one. I I was just about to ask, do you think? (laughs) No. But if it's not performed well, chances are they won't. I still don't under I still don't quite understand how there's been this push for this to happen, if I'm being completely honest. But I I'm kind of hoping that if it's performed poorly, then they won't because I just feel like the more you keep going, like I even felt like to a certain extent, Keanu Reeves, like his acting was quite put like he's actor checked out in this. And I get that mm-hmm. his character was to a certain extent, but there was none of that sort of sense of like urgency that he maybe possessed in the, the original film. And I just yeah, I don't know, it just felt just a bit flat for me I think and a lot of the stuff that they did deliver like their commentary on like gender politics and stuff like that which would have been interesting had it been like subtle and nuanced but it wasn't it was literally smacking you over the head with you know she was like did I make a mistake did did society just tell me I wanted to be a mother and she was having this sort of feminist crisis or whatever but it it just wasn't subtle enough for me I think I'd been on a run of films where I felt like the narrative and the direction that all that was was films for stupid people and this kind of continued that it just it didn't actually yeah. allow you to think and I think that's what because the first film is also the only one that I've seen was really challenging it really stimulated you it got you talking it got you thinking and this didn't do that for me and I just thought oh it, it's a shame because I, I would have really liked the chance to think about things but you didn't get that because it was all very whatever unsubtle yeah I think one of the the main pushes in terms of the studio is that they can repackage all the previous movies into a, a nice wee quadrilogy box set again and punt them out on 4K and Blu-ray and whatever formats. That, and uh, there's a new game coming out as well. Which, oh, is there? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, they, ju- they just released a demo. It's a, an Unreal Engine game, which they released on the sort of next-gen consoles, and it looks fantastic. There's a, a bit of an introduction with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Moss. Mm-hmm. And at first you think, yep, that's them. They're, they're actually they're speaking, but it's not. It's actually uh, graphical representations of them, and it's spot on. Ooh. You should get Chris to show you. I'm, I'm sure he's looked at it on the, the Xbox. Yeah. I've had a look at it on the PS5, and it's just it's totally spot on. Really, really Ooh. good. And then it, there's a whole sort of almost like a sandbox city game you can mm-hmm. go in and mess about with as well which looks really really good so uh, there's there's life in it yet but i don't mm-hmm. know if there's the the profits to be made because mm-hmm. they, they must be looking at this film and saying well it didn't make that much so therefore by the law of averages they're going to have to either spend a lot more money on the, the next film if they want mm-hmm. to make it which i mean no one's actually said anything about it. Firmly said, yes, this is going to happen. And mm-hmm. obviously, uh, Lana Wachowski hasn't said, I have an idea for the, mm-hmm. to, you know, in order to make this into a trilogy. They're not going to do one film, they'll do two 
you know, yeah. you know, if you're if you're going to do anything, you do you do a trilogy. You don't do yeah. stew like a fifth film. So what would you call that? Five, Pete? I don't know. I know. I was trying to work out what's the, what's the equivalent for, for, for five. I don't know. I just, um, yeah, I, I also just feel that I don't know if maybe the, I don't know, the world has moved on since the first Matrix was, and I just feel maybe the messaging and stuff isn't as, isn't as interesting and, and as unique as it once was. And I think that's a bit of a shame yeah. as well, but it's probably been diluted a bit by the fact that it was so good and so clever when it first came out that it's, it's mm-hmm. maybe not got as much to say now. Um, but I can, yeah, I mean, if there's a game coming out and stuff like that, I can totally see how they would span off and two different things. But um, put it this way, I wouldn't be rushing out to see another one <laughs> should it come out in no. the cinema. <laughs> Cool, cool. Right, so a bit of a mixed response there for Matrix Resurrections, which, to be fair, kind of mirrors the way that most of the public has actually seen it as well. So, and let's face it, like like you said, with your run of uh, movies for stupid people, I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that we're seeing an awful lot of blockbusters that have been delayed. You would normally see them all during the summer yeah. months, but they just yeah. seem to be expanded out. So, yeah, there, there has been a few dumb movies out there and that's not a bad thing sometimes but sometimes no i mean oof. the thing is i do like a dumb like i mean you know give me a like a big glossy action flick that's just mindless and i'm okay with that i mean i like that last ramble which semi absolutely savage and i don't mind that because it's just switch your brain off but i felt like when it's trying to be clever but not delivering there's a big difference between that and a film that's just encouraging you to not think whereas this i felt like was trying to be provocative but never quite delivered so like i said i wouldn't rush out and see another one if, if it were to come out of the cinema yeah, well, my recommendation would be if you haven't seen it, yeah, catch up when it comes on whatever streaming service it'll pop up on. If it does, because one of these ones, it'll probably be end up in Sky, I would imagine, Sky Cinema more than anything else because of the deal with HBO. But after that, we probably won't see it until HBO do whatever they do. Or I don't know, maybe maybe they will sell it to somebody as a secondary viewing experience. It's it's a bit of a weird time in terms of some of the stuff that we're seeing or we're, we're getting and not getting at the moment with the number of services out there. But that's another conversation. Anyway. So second film we're going to look at is another film as part of a series of films. <laughs> There's a bit of a theme, isn't there? This is The King's Man. The world burns. You have no idea of what men are capable of. We must do something. I know you want to fight. But there are other ways of doing your duty. You're going to need a suit. Now, this is the third Kingsman film, but it is not the third in the series of the Kingsman films. Initially, there was going to be a Kingsman 3 film, which followed the exploits of Eggsy. And the director and producers decided that instead of doing that, they would put that on hold. Apparently, it's still going to happen, but they would go back and do something of an origin story, if you like. Not an origin story for the characters that were actually in The Kingsman, but for the organisation itself. This film is set during the First World War, just before the First World War, and the events of the First World War are the backdrop of this, and it tells the tale of the Earl of Oxford, I believe, and his son, who Having gone through a family tragedy when his son was very young, the Earl, played by Ruth Fiennes, has dedicated his life to keeping his son safe and keeping him out of the 
the way. Now, obviously, any student of history will know that it was quite a torrid time in terms of conflict and warfare, and lots of young men were only too willing to sign in the dotted line and put their life on the line for king and country, which is the case here. This was a bit of a weird film. I didn't know if I actually wanted to see it because the first Kingsman film was excellent. Caught me by surprise. Really good story. Second one was a bit bloated. A shit. Bit. Well, <laughs> yeah. Shit. Uh, yeah. Can, you, can you see Elton John <laughs> doing a high yeah. kick in slow motion? You're kind of like, yeah, there's a shark somewhere that's been jumped. That's, <laughs> that's definitely happened here. Yeah. But, and, I wonder, and, and that made me think, like, surely they took a break because even they looked back on uh, Golden Circle and went, guys, that was terrible. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, as I say, this film weaves the story of the formation of the King's Men, which in this film is just a tailor shop. Mm -hmm. It's nothing more, but it sets things up in such a way that the characters here, who are obviously all fictional, are interweaved with certain aspects of the First World War, how it came to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, they, they were there when Archduke Ferdinand was killed. Yeah, Things yeah. Like, you know, all this sort of stuff. So there was a, a, a lot going on here. Yeah. What did you think about the film? What were your first, what were your initial thoughts before it came out? And what did you think of that? So I was really intrigued. Obviously, everyone knows I love a war film. We'll not get into that. Um, but actually, there's not a, a lot of... Um, <laughs> there's not a, a, a lot that would probably stop me going watch a sort of a, a Kingsman film. I know the second one was rubbish, but I did really enjoy the first one and I kind of trust this franchise to sort of rectify itself. So I saw the initial trailer, thought this looks cracking. Literally saw a glimpse of Reese Ethan's as Rasputin and thought, yep, I'm in, this looks nuts. And I like the fact that they had obviously this kind of secret society of, of bad guys that included, you know, Matahari and Lenin and uh, all these sort of guys who are willing to go and fuck shit up in Europe, basically, to, you know, bring about war. And so obviously you do see the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, you know, you do see uh, the seduction of the American president and you see all these events sort of unfold. And obviously at the heart of it is this story of Avery Fiennes and his son, who is doing his damnedest to disobey his dad and obviously go and fight at the front line. What I think really surprised me is, as much as there is like, you know, balls to the wall chaos, like we'll get into the Rasputin bit later, I'm sure, because that's just, it's fucking mental. The whole thing's just fucking mental. So there's that, which is good fun. And you get, you know, some kick-ass action and Gemma Artisan's really good in it as well. And you get like nice, light, fun stuff. There was a lot of scenes that really, I'm not going to lie, I was tearing up. It was quite dramatic. It was quite, they didn't shy away from how, badly prepared you know British troops were for World War One and how horrendous it was in the trenches it was it felt like a, a really good historical drama as well as obviously this completely fantastical notion of uh, a secret society of people trying to sort of do good and protect Europe so yeah no I really enjoyed it I know and I have read that there's a lot of problematic politics being swept to the side in this film with particular regards to Charles Dance playing Kitchener and our involvement in the Boer War and I totally understand that if you want historical accuracy you ain't getting it here but as a piece of spectacle cinema I really enjoyed it. Yep I would agree with that what surprised me about the film was the first hour of it like you say was lots of people sitting in rooms talking <laughs> there were there was obviously the, the the introductory part 
which was in Africa. And it did touch on the fact that we invented the concentration camps because you see that from the very opening scene and everything. It at least acknowledged things that were actually going on at the time. Yeah, and I don't think uh, the Kitchener character was really redeemed in any way. They, they didn't make him into be out to be a nice guy. He was a, a general. He was a soldier. Yeah. So he did what he needed to do for, like I've said before, for king and country. That's what it was all about. But yeah... I, I kept waiting for them there to be some sort of action scene early on and things like that, and it, it just it didn't appear. It was quite a serious drama in a way, and there were a lot of chatting. My watch just decided <laughs> to talk to me. There was a, a, a lot of yeah. talking. There was and a, a, a fair amount of exposition. They they brought all these characters in together. Mm-hmm. I liked the way that the they brought this there was almost like two secret societies going on mm-hmm. at the time there was yeah. a secret society which was run by the shepherd yes i believe with the scottish accent which was just hilarious yeah that was just brilliant and there was the other sort of secret society which was made up of maids and servants yes which i love that whole idea of like that these are the people who they're in the background but they do hear and see everything round about a house yeah. just by weaving in and out of rooms i thought that was really clever the shepherd can i ask a question because the more this film went on i was like this accent is getting on my tits like this needs to stop do you think it was like purposefully bad like a yes. bad scottish accent right okay because i, was just I think like, it was a, it was a very <laughs> it was a very put on scottish accent it, i i won't say like for most of the film you don't see who the shepherd oh no you don't is. know he's, always, that. No. he's always in darkness it's always he's always in the shadow or he's, he's the shots from behind and mm-hmm. they don't give very much away because i think he's got a bald head so you don't yes. see very much at all i kind of thought it was like it was almost like a peter mullen and steroids kind of a, yes. an accent that he was going for <laughs> which and that in a way kind of kept you guessing about who the character actually was. Now, when it became apparent who was, you're kind of going, of course, yeah, it, it kind yeah. of makes sense. But we, we don't need to uh, go into that. No. I would rather not spoil that at all. No, me neither. Um, me neither. But yeah, it, wh- when I did find out who it was, I thought about another role that he'd been in where he'd done uh, an accent, not a Scottish accent, and it was mm-hmm. bloody awful. But Ah, uh, right, okay. I mean, well, don't get me wrong, like... I- as many actors have have tried and failed, a Scottish a generic Scottish accent is obviously quite hard. But I just couldn't work out if it was supposed to be because obviously when we look at Reese Evans and his ridiculous Russian accent that he's got, it's obviously really over yeah. the top. Like he's practically purring like with everything that he says. But <laughs> I am um, I must admit I know it's obviously it's it's chaotic, but I loved him and this the scene between him and Ray Fiennes in that drawing room. I was dying of second-hand embarrassment <laughs> like it was so good and then obviously he does this big kind of fight scene and they worked sort of like classic dancing and, and ballet into the, I mean it really was crazy but there was so much of it though that was so over the top and really but then it just sort of brought you back in again where they did have this sort of world war one narrative that you were just like you were seeing you know young boys going up and over and you were just like oh, this is it was really a film of two quite distinct tones and yet they somehow yeah. worked really well together yeah there was a, an awful lot of stiff upper lip english mm-hmm. englishness in it and i think to, in order to counter that so it wasn't like a totally serious drama they had this cast of baddies who were all pretty much over the top. They were all yeah. really hamming it up in the, their own particular ways. Like Mata Hari, for instance, that was just yeah. that was a 
uh, a very good role, you know. Uh, but yeah, Rasputin, he was just he was eating scenery every time he was on screen. It was just it was but, like, fantastic. Not in a bad way, like it was. So oh no, weird. no, no. And you've got him. I mean, I don't. I genuinely, to this day, would love to like a wee behind the scenes because Ray Fiennes is obviously he's very good at that sort of very British, very classy, you know, gentleman, mm. and he's like his face is just very still. <laughs> Well, Reese Ethan's is shoving an entire cake in his mouth and it's all down his beard. And then obviously he's like feeling him up and licking his leg. And I was like, how did those two actors film those scenes? Because they were nuts. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> On that, it was obviously there's a, a big action scene, like you mentioned, between the two yes. of them. Riff finds he's still got moves. Do you know pretty, why? Because he practices naked yoga. Ah, well. <laughs> Oh, I wouldn't be embarrassed then if somebody's licking his leg, I would imagine. I think he'd be quite okay with that. Do you not know this story? No. So there's no, a story no. that there was a woman, an actor, a fellow actor, that he really wanted to impress. And so I don't know how accurate this is. But apparently he broke into her apartment and was standing on his head practicing naked yoga for her coming home to basically show her, you know, this is uh -huh. what you could get sort of thing. So apparently he has super fit, super into his, his yoga and health and well-being. And yet it shows. I mean, he was kicking ass extremely well in this film. I thought he was actually mm -hmm. quite a surprising action star. And I thought, please don't go down the route of doing that, like, you know, Liam Neeson, I'm in my 50s and now I'm only taking action roles type of thing. But he was he was very convincing, really impressive, yeah. Oh, it really was. Because, I mean, if you think about the, the last time that we have we saw him in a role, it was the Bond film. Mm -hmm, yeah. And there he was like a, a broken down M character, he had a bit of a podge about him and he was very yeah. slow and obviously drinking everything. It was like total transformation. It was yeah. I was really, really surprised. Uh, it was nice to see a contrast here with the action scenes compared to the action scenes in the Matrix, because mm -hmm. I like to say the Matrix ones are quite close up. You didn't get a sense of what was going on at times, but here it was all very clear. It was all mid shots. You yeah. saw exactly what was happening. Obviously, there was a wee bit of CG trickery, especially with the Cossack moves and stuff, but you could see it was yeah. actually the actors yeah. that were doing it and they were fully on board and they'd obviously trained a hell of a lot in order to yeah. do this. So it was impressive. That's, that's one thing you can rely on, really, with the, the Kingsman films. They do do action very, very well. Yeah. It's not been very many really rubbishy actions scenes no, in it. No, and they never outstay their welcome either. Like they kind of know when a, a, a yeah. fight should sort of come to its natural end, which I thought was no. I, I did, as I say, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought the the sort of blend of the the two kind of narratives was really good. And also, if you're a fan of European cinema, I mean, there was loads of good uh, cameos in there. There's obviously like um, August Deal, Daniel Brühl, although there distinctly was not enough uh, Daniel Brühl, and <laughs> Alexandra Maria Lara. Like, if you watch a lot of German cinema, there was like really nice cameos in there. But yeah, not enough Daniel Brühl. But obviously, I'll not go into any spoilers. But I think the the post credit scene sort of sets it up for something a bit. Cheeky, cheeky, coming soon. <laughs> I I knew that was going to happen. I, I, I oh, did you? I didn't guess I, I didn't, that at all. I didn't have an inkling of it. It was uh, about three quarters of the way through where there was, I think there was a scene where something had gone wrong for the bad guys. And mm -hmm. I thought, I know what's going to, what's, what's <laughs> going to happen at the, the very end of this, what the, the post-credit scene is going to be. Oh, I, just, I, I, I knew exactly that. what it Oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't disappointed with it. I was, yeah. I was kind of thinking, yeah, well, that that kind of works. That works really well. I'm quite yeah. quite pleased about yeah. that. What did you think about the fact Tom Hollander was playing three different roles here? Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because I thought that was 
I mean, it was like crazy, wasn't it? So he was, you know, the king mm-hmm. of England, very sober, very somber, very, you know, being serious about his country. Hence <laughs> the German Kaiser. It was like every really <laughs> bad German stereotype you could possibly have with his little, obviously, um, shriveled hand. Um, I guess as the Russian Tsar, he didn't really have too much to do, obviously, although you know how that story ends as well. And you kind of felt yeah. that sense of foreboding that was coming because he was obviously a, a family man in the in the grips of a sort of, you know, cult, obviously, of personality with, with Rasputin by his side. But I thought the, the contrast in the performances, particularly well he was playing the Kaiser was absolutely hysterical. I mean, it was it was every bad stereotype you could think of with a really, again, terrible over the top German accent. And it was it was it was obviously not a funny situation, but really funny how he did it. I thought he was great. I don't know if it was a reaction to recent events in cinema, mm-hmm. but it was nice to see Gemma Arterton in such a prominent role. Yeah, I, she was I mean, great. she's she's a fantastic actor at the best of times. She she has had a, a pretty varied career. Sometimes there's an awful lot of English Rose sort of mm-hmm. acts that she does, but no, I thought she was terrific here. Brilliant. Princip- principally as the nanny, but obviously the role was so much more than just that. It wasn't just like a sort of a token role. Yeah. She was there for, for most of the film and she more than acquitted herself. But I, I do think that was a reaction to the fact that the previous two Kingsman films were sort of male dominated yes there were female characters in it but it was all about the white men oh absolutely Um, and they were very much the the female characters and like i said i love the kingston films but i understand they're problematic in the sense that the female characters are very much there to to look at as opposed to participate um so i thought her character was a a breath of fresh air you know she was no nonsense and i really i really enjoyed that and i loved the chemistry between her and Timon Honsu as well who again I really mm-hmm. like and never seems to get he's got a bit of the, the John Bernthal's about him he never seems to get five minutes uh, in a film without getting killed off so I was really glad to, to see him and actually um, see a little bit more of him throughout the film I thought the dynamic between the two of them in contrast to Ray Fiennes was was really good because they were people who had real life experience you know they were perhaps what you would what you would call back then you know working class or whatever and they were just not up for taking any shit they were they were loyal and they were you know good at their jobs but equally they they had their own sort of stuff going on as well which i like they weren't just secondary characters yeah it was interesting the fact that they they were so prominent there was lots of wee details in it that called back to the kingsman you you didn't have to have seen other films in order to watch this or get anything from it but if you had seen it, there were a lot of things that kind of called back to it. Oxford's not rogues, for instance, because he was Earl mm-hmm. of Oxford. And the, the the whole use of the shop and the way that they used the Knights of the Round Table and all yeah. this sort of stuff. So there was lots of wee bits. I'm sure there was far more than I actually picked up on. But I, I thought that was nice, but without being overpowering. There wasn't too many yeah. of them. There was a character who was introduced, but not, and it was really weird. He was he was introduced about halfway through the film, but you didn't really see him. The Archie car- character, who was a soldier, oh, uh, yes, who I did the swap, yes. and that was Aaron Taylor Johnson. And it's like, do you know? What? I sat the whole film going, I know that guy's face. I know that it was one of those ones, and then when the name went up at the credits, I was like, oh, that's who that was. Yeah, because he sounded slightly Scottish as well, and I yes, don't think he, he did. Is. Yes. Oh, no, 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 he's not Scottish, no. no. So, yeah, I, it was one of those ones where 
every time I saw him, not to distract too much in the film, but I was like, oh, who are you? I know I've seen you in something, but I could think of the name. But yeah, that was quite pleasant. He was, he, again, really good, actually, in the small part that he had. It, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that may be something for the future in terms of this. Yes, I now, was wondering, yes. Right, so where we're at, at the, I mean, this is giving no surprises away whatsoever. It's, it's not a spoiler or anything because it's the origin stories of the Kingsman organisation. And in a way, it's the origin. Well, it touches on the American version of it as well because the American president always asks for a statesman. The bourbon, uh-huh. the yeah, 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 and yeah. that's obviously the organisation. So they were obviously kicking about at the same time. So, mm-hmm. so as I say, it, the organisation is formed. So, do you mm-hmm. think they will continue from here with this type of historical film and sort of parallel to the sort of the, the current day ones? Do you think that? I'm- Room I for really that. hope they. I hope they do because there is room. You could quite easily watch this film and never have seen the other two films. Like it, it definitely works, as you say. There's lots of little nods and touches that you can pick up on if you've seen the films. But if you haven't, it's not going to make a difference to how much you're going to enjoy it. I feel like there's a couple of things in this film uh, that really sets up another movie, and I I would really love if they did because I I got a lot of enjoyment out of this. Um, and to be honest with you, because I didn't really like the Golden Circle that much. I prefer to get a sequel to this first rather than a, a third uh, Kingsman or other Kingsman film uh, set in the present day, because um, I just I did I got a lot of enjoyment out of this. Um, and I, but I think the, the two franchises could work concurrently. I think they could work together. I don't think there's any mm-hmm. sort of reason why not. But yeah, no, I would I would definitely love to see that. Yeah, I think so too. I think it would be very good. Uh, there's a lot of history for them to cover to come up to the present oh, yeah. day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mostly involving warfare so uh, there's there's i mean if you look at it because the the film ends and it's around about 1918 1919 Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. so you have everything from the 1920s the great depression the second world war and then everything after that Suez crisis cold war you know yeah. yeah it could go on it could go on for years it really could. I was just thinking right up to the because I've just finished reading that girl at war right up to the breakup of Yugoslavia like there's everything because the whole world mm-hmm. was I mean it still is incredibly unstable but there does seem to be this huge chunk of time where there wasn't actually any peace I mean I doubt they would dabble too much in modern politics because that's not the kind of film they are they're not trying to make that sort of no. point I don't feel but um, yeah there's there's plenty of plenty of source material there and I would love to see them tackle some of it yeah I mean the the first two films were almost like James Bond type films it was a, sure, yeah. a villain it was a baddie who was want to take over the world or kill people or whatever mm-hmm. you know in fact i'm i'm struggling to remember what the plot of the second one was i've i think i've only watched it the once didn't i don't think i've ever gone back and yeah. seen it again i've seen the se- i've seen the first one a couple of times now but yeah the second so one second i know they, they team up with the because, states obviously and i think yeah. it's to defeat a third party villain but actually you're right the details of that are quite hazy because i haven't yeah. seen it once because i just didn't like it yeah all i remember is whoever it is the abducted elton john <laughs> yeah you know and you're the thinking elton john thing's a clanger that's that's really yeah bad. that's because of the whole rocket man thing because he was involved in all that and matthew oh, wait, so and... in exchange for making rocket man he got a part in golden circle I think it's because he was involved in all that at the time, yeah. And they says, you know, you should do do a wee cameo here. And then they, when they did it, they said, maybe we should extend it, maybe make it a bit bigger. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know what would possess you. It's, it's like done the, now. 
yeah, I mean, but it, I feel like it's like when David Beckham popped up in that uh, King Arthur, it really fucking takes you out of it because you're like, oh, that's David Beckham. <laughs> I remember you know that. I mean? that was so, it's, it's so that was and funny. it's shit as well. It's shit. Like so. It's, yeah. It, just, and it, it takes you out of it, and I think that's like again, it's one of these things. Of when it's done right, it, it really works. But that that was not an example of it being done right. However, the Kingsman, I will wholeheartedly recommend. I don't know if it's still in the cinema, but it's definitely definitely worth a watch. I think it's in still in a few cinemas, cinemas, and no doubt it'll be coming to either Amazon or Netflix. In fact, I think the Kingsman films came to Netflix, I believe. I think oh, I saw it in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so chances are it'll end up, it'll end up in one of the, the major ones anyway. So we will see them at some point again. It's well worth checking out. It's a a very good film, and I'd kind of like to see it again just because to try and pick up on some of the, the wee details that you do miss first time around, especially when you're enjoying something so much, you do miss some of the historical details. Although I did pick up in the piece in their time toast yeah. that uh, the king gave and go, ah, I get that. <laughs> I understand that reference. I know what that one is. So, well, I'm not going to yeah. lie. Like, I, I, when, the, when they obviously set up, give a little friendship and stuff like that, I was like, wonder if I'm the only one in this cinema that knows what his actual name was. I was feeling quite cocky sitting watching it. <laughs> <laughs> this actually happened, guys? Yeah. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. So, two films down, one to go. Now, the third film is a bit of a different one. It's a totally unique film. It's not part of a franchise. And in a lot of ways, it has been a bit of a controversial film. The film is Titan from director Julia de Corneau. I think I hopefully got that right. The director of the much-lauded film Raw a couple of years ago. And there was a short film previous to that, which I saw on Mubi, which was, it's just a 15-minute film, and it was a bit of a body horror thing as well, which was kind of good. It was about a a young girl who basically hits puberty and the, the changes she goes through in order to blossom into more of a woman rather than a, a small spotty girl and that was a that was a real body horror thing shedding of skins it was much much metaphoring put it that way okay. in that film. So, uh, but if you get a chance check it out it's only about 50 minutes long so here we are the film titan is it's been classed as a, a body horror film and to a certain expect, aspect that is true but not entirely because there's a hell of a lot more going on here than just that. It focuses on a young girl, Alexia, who at the beginning of the film, she is maybe about nine or ten years old. She's in the back of a car with her dad. She's making broom. Hmm? She's a dick. Oh, she's horrible, yeah. She's sitting there making all these car noises, broom brooming noises, and her dad is getting more and more worked up. And he, he... basically tells her to shut up and her response to that is she takes off her seatbelt, he turns around to scold her and of course the car is an accident uh, resulting in her getting a brain injury that requires a titanium plate being put in her head cut to her getting out of hospital with half of her head shaved, massive big scar and she basically ignores her parents and goes, goes over and kisses their new car and embraces it from there, we cut to Alexia as an adult, and she is a, a dancer at motor shows where she erotically dances on top of cars. Now, from there, you think, where is this film going to go? It's quite a strange opening to begin with. What we get 
is a young lady writhing all over the top of a car and then at the end of the night seeing that the, the hall where the cars were being exhibited is empty she decides to go back have a swift one with one of the cars <laughs> using the seat belts as restraints and then is accosted by a fan she's obviously got a bit of a an online following for her act and everything and it transpires that this guy wants an autograph and then he wants to be a bit more and he gets slightly more than they actually bargained for with uh well it's not a hairpin you would call it what would you call it i would call it a hairpin or a hair slide yeah, a hairpin yeah. yeah yeah he basically gets a hairpin in his ear um and that <laughs> sets the tone for the probably the first hour of the film we find that alexia is with <laughs> i don't want to say with child she's with motor vehicle possibly <laughs> and uh, she starts she starts to change and yes. things kind of spiral out of control from there in terms of her home life her interaction with various other people uh there's a pivotal scene that leads to her having to go on the run hide herself and that's when she decides to take on the persona of another person in order basically in order to almost like to hide out in, mm -hmm. in public and that's when the film gets really weird <laughs> more weird than it actually is at the moment i think i've, I've talked quite a lot about the film without i don't think i've really given too much away because no, there's so say, much going on here it's extreme and i obviously wrote the review for the site and don't read the review if you've not seen the film because i thought i actually don't know how i'm going to talk about this without giving stuff away so i've had to in order to mm -hmm. discuss some of the, the themes that, that get thrown up and um, i think you've, yeah that's that's a really good synopsis without actually telling the, the big sort of twists and turns that go on so yeah yeah, so there are elements of body horror in here, yeah. physical injury to oneself, physical injury to other people of various uh, various degrees, mm -hmm. and the, the body horror doesn't just, it's, it's not done for titillation purposes, there's a no. lot of like toxic masculinity involved, there is a, a real theme here about sense of belonging sense yeah. of you know the need for family the, the need for interaction the need for closure need for belonging oh just it's i mean you, you can go pretty deep with this film mm -hmm. or you can just look of it look on it as a sort of david cronenberg still body horror film which again the, these films are all deep they're more than just the, the surface elements but i think what's initially sold it was the the surface elements and people fainting and cinema screens and all that and I, I initially thought it would be like that but I ended up thinking this is a, a lot more and it's a, it's better for the fact that it's a lot more than just the, the body horror aspect of it of itself. I mean I must admit I was quite harsh in my review because I loved Raw, I thought Raw was an excellent film, really enjoyed it, really loved the body horror in that as well and don't get me wrong I think the body horror elements of this are really really well executed but I think what kind of, yeah so I did the same thing, I saw that you know, people were fainting, walking out in disgust, oh it was terrible. I genuinely think that anyone who has read or written a review of this film so far has only seen the first half hour and then it's fucked off because it becomes a completely different film and you're right it's about belonging it's about identity it's about self and I thought that obviously the first half hour is 
you know, to quote a semi-phrase, it's balls to the wall crazy. I mean, she's literally having sex with a car, so, you know, do with that what you will. It is, it's really crazy, and it kind of goes off on one tangent and then throws you off another, and I found it a little bit disorientating and a little bit hard to get into, and perhaps that's the point. But, yeah, there's a whole big sort of quite nicely done sort of storyline about, um, as you say, identity and self and belonging, and, and the body horror is not, as you say, it's not for titillation. It's really, really well done. I just found that... I would say maybe around the, the sort of two-thirds mark, it got a little bit lost for me and I felt it, it fell a bit flat. But for something, if you're looking for something that's not a mundane blockbuster and you want something challenging and different and exciting, this is definitely a film worth watching. And again, I believe the, the actor that plays Alexia, this is her first, it's her sort of debut role, which mm-hmm. if that is the right, case, yeah. that's hugely impressive because there's an enormous demand on her to physically change herself quite substantially at various points throughout the film. And I do think that Julia DeCorno is, is an interesting director. I think she's got something to say. I definitely think she's got a lot of interesting narratives that she wants to explore. I just didn't think this was as good as Raw, but I did still in, enjoy it. It just it, it, it got a little bit flat for me and a little bit muddled, as I say, around the two-thirds mark. But if you want to watch something that's challenging and different, I, I do recommend it from that perspective because it is. It, you watch the first half hour and you're just like, what the fuck is this? It really mm-hmm. is so wild. Yeah, it's, it does maintain that sort of high-octane level of weird. It does sort of no. fall into sort of different kind of pattern, different rhythm. Yeah, I was probably a wee bit harsh in my review because on reflection, I think actually that was quite a challenging piece of cinema and I did I did quite enjoy it. Yeah, I think the, the lull was necessary because the sort of the first act of it was so full on, there was so much going on, mm-hmm. so much to process on it, that if it kept going at that sort of pace, you would have... You, you might have lost interest a wee bit to work like for the, the sort of the, the yeah, ending the for the final act. Have, yeah, the yeah. shock value would have worn yeah. off. Um, it absolutely would. I, I, as I say, I did think that the lead actress, I'm going to probably butcher her name, Agathe Roussel, I thought she was excellent. And I thought that she really carried the whole film as well, because again, it's quite a challenging, quite a challenging central role. You know, she's, as I say, she's got to sort of physically change herself quite a lot. The one thing that did keep me out was the sort of dynamic between her and Vincent Linden's character. I couldn't quite work out where that was ever going, mm-hmm. but I found their performances very interesting. Like I said, it is a challenging film, and I think if you want to watch actors do something a bit different and a bit weird and a bit crazy, this is definitely a good, good example of that. Yeah, he was particularly good because Mm -hmm. he had obviously suffered a loss Mm -hmm. and it had affected him for basically, you're probably talking about, it was about 15 years or something, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah, I think that was Uh, it, yeah. yeah. And that coupled with the fact that he was like an alpha male, he's a firefighter who was in charge of the the, sort of the uh, the whole team Mm -hmm. and he was getting older and he was finding it more and more difficult yeah. to maintain this sort of masculine, macho sort of persona, which in a lot of ways wasn't what he was like. No. Like in his sort of personal life. Uh, no, like, uh, and that could have been a bit of a caricature. They could have made him a sort of an extreme in his personal life as well, going the other way, doing something mm-hmm. like really what would be regarded as weird for a sort of straight white male, but they didn't do that. I thought it was it was very sort of gentle the way they sort of treated his character because it could have been a lot more obvious and blatant, but that's not what the film is about at all. It was it was all about the sort of subtleties and the nuances. The initial per, the performance, as you say, is it Agatha? 
Agatha. I know, actually, Agatha. Agatha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really sorry if you are listening. No, yeah. Well, she's, well she meets up with Lawrence Fishburne all the time, so, so I'm sure they listen together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought she was particularly good because she has a very sort of unique look about her. Mm-hmm. And she was able to pass for both uh, a woman, which she obviously is, but she was able to pass as a, a man as well. When I mean, yeah, quite interesting. That's, that's all, I, yeah. yeah, I always really, think though, like French women. It's going to sound really, but I always think French women have like a really obviously good style and a really good sense of self. And actually, mm-hmm. to see that deconstructed, because even yeah. when she was the car dancer, she wasn't stylish. She was like you know in the fishnet tights and the short little hot pants and all that sort of thing. She was there to be objectified, and then she yeah. stripped all that away from herself and. She literally looked like a different, a completely different person, and that's what I mean. Like the role was very physically demanding of her, from the sense that it wasn't just the body water stuff; it was that she completely mm-hmm. changed the character. So, really. yeah, she had to go from being this very extrovert character when she was writhing about on top of a car, and mm-hmm. the persona that she had as a, a public figure with her fans and all this sort of stuff, and sort of in a way, she was the sort of top dog amongst all mm-hmm. the dancers oh yeah so, you could tell uh-huh, that she yes. was the, the dancer they all aspired to and then yeah. you obviously touched on the sort of toxic masculinity and it's that and it also kind of touched on a way on sort of like fandom and how as fans we sort of expect a piece of whoever it is that we admire yeah. whether that's on instagram or on twitter or in person where as you see it, it's can i have an autograph but then it's can i have more and can i have more and can i have more because i feel yeah. like i have some sort of dominion over you because i feel like i know who you are sort of thing and um, so there was really interesting themes explored but i i must admit i i i felt to a certain extent they were kind of throwing the kitchen sink at you because there was you know there was a sort of I'll not go into spoilers, but there was a, a reason why she went on the run. There was the extreme sex scenes with the car. She obviously got then got in a relationship with a the woman. Then there was the extreme damage that she did to her, her own body. Um, mm-hmm. And it did kind of feel like, pick one of these things and run with it. Because it did feel a wee bit yeah. too much at times. Um, and that's probably why, in fairness, I felt it dipped. Because it had thrown everything at you. And then it just kind of yeah. went a bit quiet, you know? I thought the, the car sex scene was done reasonably subtly it wasn't it could have been a lot worse oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was fully anticipating something that involved a gear stick um, and it didn't it didn't go down that road it wasn't it wasn't a caricature it was it was like you could like again it wasn't it wasn't for you know titillation as you said it was very no, much like this no. just part of who she became as a result of <laughs> an accident which i must admit kind of thought she got what was coming to her because when she started kicking her dad see adam put fuck out her so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know what you mean yeah if you've ever been in the car with a child who kicks the seat you're kind of like hmm yeah been there <laughs> been there done that yeah <laughs> so the film obviously has done very well it mm-hmm. won awards at Cannes. it's been revered it was in lots of top 10 lists including my own this year i saw it quite late on i didn't see it until the cinema release in december mm-hmm. and i was kind of blown away by it i thought it was yeah it's it, it's like you said it's a it's a good antidote to mindless nonsense that we we tend to uh, get bombarded with on a weekly basis it was interesting that the 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 sort of genesis and the the initiation of the story i listened to a podcast interview Mm -hmm. with uh, julia de and 
she said she sat and stared at a blank page for a year before doing it. And she, she wasn't saying this for effect. She was actually quite annoyed about the fact that it took her such a long time. Part of it was to do with the fact that Raw was received so well. I know that, there must be that, but there must be that pressure. Like how the, how the hell do you follow up something that's yeah. that was so good? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I know that our Simi puts a lot of pressure on himself with his, with his novels because they're obviously really good as well. And then I'm quite sure he can identify with it, staring at a blank page for a year type of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, how how do you follow something like that up? And I guess she could have done something she's obviously gone for something that's quite wild and like if you if you read the basic synopsis of it it's like Lassie gets pregnant with her it it does sound kind of crazy but when you think about the actual and it, it's the same with Rob when you think about the you know the the subtext that she was trying to explore there and um, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot going on and I guess yeah I can I can totally see why she felt pressured into competing with her with her own work essentially yeah it, it must be very very difficult I it's it's interesting to see how different filmmakers and different writers go about the process because obviously with a, a film there's a whole process of it gets written mm-hmm. it gets made there's a post production and then there's the actual it, it goes out on tour basically especially with uh, an independent art house mm-hmm. film it tours possibly for the best part of a year I mean yeah. obviously it's can last June it actually premiered so. You're talking about six or seven months worth of publicity and everything that they're doing for it. So what you find with some filmmakers is they use that time to actually develop new ideas. So they've always got something on the go. Mm-hmm. But not everybody can work that way because some people need to basically just fully concentrate on it. And I think she's one of these people who just needs to finish something, have a definitive end to it, and then say, right, what's next? And if there's nothing next, just wait for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, it must be quite a stressful thing just to be oh, I, I know myself uh sitting looking at a blank page is not the easiest of things how how to start that's what i always find with reviews when i actually get around to doing them is it's the first paragraph if i can get the first paragraph done then everything else flows from that but i need yeah. to have the introduction so not that i'm saying i'm you know in the same sort of league as anybody <laughs> else that uh, does these Kind but no, but things. this is the thing, it's, it's totally anyone who writes, whether that's as a, a hobby, a career or, or, or whatever, anyone who writes can totally identify with that first thing of like, if I could just get this first paragraph down, I feel like the rest of it would just flow. And that's obviously how she's felt about this. And, and fair play to her for actually not rushing something out, because you know, like what we touched on the, on the Matrix sort of thing earlier, like fair play to her for not maybe giving in to the pressure of like, you know, we'll pay you X amount if you do this, or if you rush something out. She's obviously taken her time and decided to do what exactly what she wants to do because she is the writer and director so she obviously takes full ownership of that that process and, and fair play to her for, t- for taking the time yeah totally so i take it you would you recommend this based on obviously you 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 reviewed it and you said yourself you were quite critical of it and the fact that i was but you know what I, I I don't think it's a bad thing to be critical of films that you actually quite like, though. I think that's okay to say, I did like this, but here are kind of where it fell down mm-hmm. to me a little bit. I would recommend it, as I say, if you want a break from <laughs> The Matrix and anything else that comes out that feels relatively mind-numbing, this is something that's going to challenge you. It's going to challenge you to think. It's a challenging watch at times because of the, the, the body elements of it. And it's just something different. I mean, it's. I think the... Cronenberg comparisons are just people who 
haven't seen any other films because it's the most obvious reference to make. I think if, yep. if you go in and just sort of go in on a in a blank slate, I think you will you will take something from it, and I think everyone will take different things from it, and I think that's one of the that will be the keys to success because you can take different narratives from it. Some people are focused on the gender politics, some people are talking about identity and the self. There's there's a lot going on. Is the bottom line. Mm-hmm. No, definitely yes. Uh, I would recommend it. Like you say, it's a challenge, but sometimes you you need that. You need to yep. stick with something and watch it. See it all the way through. There's there's enough there to want you to watch the rest of the film. Yeah, even oh, absolutely. It, does dip. absolutely. Oh, it, it definitely it definitely does dip. It, it definitely does get quieter for about maybe twenty minutes or so in the middle of the film. But again, that's not a bad thing because it does a wee bit of exposition and it gives you a wee bit of background to some of the characters and it sort of sets up the, the final act as well, which is yeah. always a good thing. I had a quick look there. The film, the short film that she did in 2011 was called Junior. Mm. Uh, it had the same actor who was in Raw, one of the female Well, of course, she appears in, in, in this as well um, as yes. one of the dancers, so she kind of pops up yep. in that as well. Maybe that's a, an actor-director relationship that they, they enjoy. So, yeah. Yep, I think it probably is, yeah. So, yeah, so there we go. That's our podcast for today, uh, something a wee bit different. We're trying various different formats just to mix it up a bit, see what works for us and what doesn't. So, as I say, this time it was just... A quick review, no top three or anything, but we will get back to those as we go on. Um, the, the challenge we're having at the moment is actually trying to get everybody into a virtual room together in order to do these things because, uh, apart from myself, there are two other very busy people at the moment, <laughs> which which is a good thing. It's, it's good to be busy, so we shall endeavour to keep things going. I have for a loyal ideas. fan. <laughs> Yeah, for a loyal fan, yeah. He's not very not a very demanding loyal fan, but he is still a loyal fan. So, yeah, we'll conti- as I say, we'll continue to put stuff out there and see what sticks, see what works for us and see what works for everybody else. But obviously quite happy to continue. We've been doing this for um, quite some time now. We're very close to having 50 official episodes and almost 100 in total with you take into consideration the, yeah, the bonus... Yeah, yeah there'll the be extra stuff as well. Um, I've had a few ideas about adding to the bonus stuff as well. So we'll get some, Excited. hopefully, more content out there if I can get Marson gear and actually get things <laughs> edited in a more timely manner, which uh, I hope so. You can find us all the normal places on, yeah. on the various social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't want to see our OnlyFans page. It's only just me. <laughs> I'm the star of the show there, and it's really it's it's very niche. Put it that way. Yeah. I've heard it's really art house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a whole turtle in here uh, theme going on there, and you can guess which one I'm going to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, so you can we, guess. We made it. What was it? We made it. An- Thirty-eight minutes before the smut kicked in, so I think that yeah. actually might be a record, which means it's Sammy that's the problem. It's not Sammy. Me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's always him. Yeah, Sergeant and me's manly hardness. You know what it's like. <laughs> but now that you've, you know you've started, that's it. Well, I know that's it. Everything's fair game. So as I say, get us that movie scramble anywhere that you get your social medias. We are obviously available on iTunes and Spotify and pretty much everywhere else that you pick up 
podcasts. Again, just look for Movie Scramble. If you want to send us an email, we are at podcast at moviescramble.co.uk. It's coming up to the 18-month anniversary of us actually last receiving an email, but never mind. <laughs> it's, not, <is> it? <laughs> it's, it's not far off it, yeah. Apart from the test ones that I make, just to make sure the account's still active. <laughs> So, oh, but if you do want to get in touch with us, mm-hmm. if you've got anything that you think we would be interested in covering, we're always open to give new things a watch. If you are a new filmmaker and you want us to take a look at your stuff, uh, oh, yeah, do a interview, do, do a review. Yeah, yeah we've, we've done that in the past. We're happy to do that again. One of the aims of the podcast, uh, the podcast, the site, especially when it was set up, was to try and highlight local and new and emerging talent if possible there's an awful lot of it out there and a lot of it is excellent stuff so if you do have something please you know where to get us we're very easily found and i think that's it for today so from myself cheerio and i shall see you next time I will see you guys soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and hopefully um, in next year's Spotify wrapped, it's not just me that has movies scramble on their top five podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice.